This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Bible and go to 1 Peter chapter 3, if you would, tonight. Uh, again, as we go through this series, it's not an uh, expository series like we would normally preach where we're going verse by verse through a particular book of the Bible. We're really looking at topics throughout the Bible, and so when we take a look at the idea of reconciliation, there's not, this is the reconciliation passage that we look at and how we glean truth from that. Uh, it's really kind of found all throughout Scripture as we take a look at how God reconciles us to Himself, the means by which he reconciles us, our need for reconciliation, uh, and things along those lines. And so uh, we're going to keep your Bible handy because we're going to take a look at several different passages uh, of Scripture this morning, or I'm sorry, this evening as we uh, look at this idea of reconciliation. 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse number 18. We see 1 Peter 3, 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being quickened by the Spirit. So the idea of bringing us to God means that once upon a time, we were far off from God. We, we have to be brought near. This process that we talk about here is the idea of reconciliation. Uh, when we talk about reconciliation, reconciliation is the restoration of a broken relationship, a renewal of a friendship. Once things have been broken, have been fractured, there needs to be reconciliation. Now, again, for reconciliation to take place, there must have first been a relationship to begin with. For example, you can't be reconciled to a stranger. Hey, Bob, this is Joe. I want you guys to be reconciled. They don't know each other, so they can't be reconciled. You would introduce them to one another, and then we'd get to know one another. But if Bob and Joe were once really good friends, and then they had a falling out between them, then we could bring reconciliation between them. And so the idea is that there started off a relationship that has since been broken. God had a relationship with mankind in the Garden of Eden. God created Adam and Eve. Their job was to tend the garden. Their job was to walk with God and to know God and to enjoy God's presence. The Bible says that God walked with them during the cool of the day. God had conversations with them the way that uh, you and I would have conversations with one another. And that fellowship that they had with God was uh, unique, it was special. And God told them, you can do whatever you want to do, free reign over the garden to, to, to eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want, do whatever you want, but the only thing that you can't do is you can't eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't do that. Anything else you can do. And when man decided to rebel against God, Eve was deceived by the serpent who was the devil but Adam full knew well what he was doing, and he partook of that in rebellion against God. Whenever they did that, mankind's relationship with God was broken, and it could not be repaired on our own. So that broken relationship, that fractured relationship, is going to go on for all of eternity. Things are broken automatically between mankind and God. 
Now, when we take a look at the book of Romans, chapter 5, we're not going to look at it tonight, but when we get there uh, in our study of the book of Romans, we find that because of Adam's sin, one man's sin, death has now passed upon all men because all men have sinned. And you might say, well, I didn't do anything necessarily to break that relationship with God. It's Adam's fault, and you and I are collateral damage. You and I are the fallout of that as a result of it. And you and I have a broken relationship with God because of Adam's sin and because of our inherent sin nature. So to bring us back to God, something must take place to bring us peace with God. When we talk about the idea of being reconciled to God, reconciliation is the opposite of alienation. And so again, as we look at these Bible terms, it's important to understand what they mean and what the, kind of the opposite of it is. We've been taking a look at, uh, on Sunday mornings, the idea of justification. Does anybody remember what the opposite of justification is? Anybody remember? Wow, I've done a terrible job of training you appropriately from the Scriptures. Opposite of justification is condemnation, right? Condemnation is the opposite of justification. Justification, we're declared righteous, we're declared free, we're declared innocent, uh, righteous in God's sight. It's the opposite of condemnation where we're declared guilty in God's sight and worthy of God's punishment. Reconciliation is the opposite of alienation. You and I were, were alienated from God by nature because of our sin. Lamentations chapter 5 in your notes uh, tonight. Lamentations 5, verse number 1. Remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. Consider and behold our reproach. Our inheritance is turned to strangers, our houses to aliens. We are orphans and fatherless. Our mothers are widows. We have drunken our water for money. Our wood is sold unto us. Our necks are under persecution. We labor and we have no rest. We have given the hand to the Egyptians and to the Assyrians to be satisfied with bread. Our fathers have sinned and are not, and we have borne their iniquities. Whose, whose cry is this? The children of Israel. They reconcile, reckon, recognize that God had removed his hand of blessing from them, and now... While they were once God's people, God has kind of hung them out to dry in an effort to bring them back to himself. God is chastising them, uh, the children of Israel, because of their sin against him. They say, man, uh, our our mothers have become widows. Our fathers have left us. Uh, We're selling uh, all that we have. We're under the the, uh, pressure and We're under the uh, control of other nations now as a result of this because we have messed up our relationship with God. But reconciliation takes you and I from being the enemies of God to the sons and daughters of God. This This is really good news for you. It's important that we understand the fallacy that we are all God's children. There is no universal family of God. Like all God's creatures are automatically all God's children. Not the case at all. The Bible says that we are the children of wrath. We are the children of disobedience. We are our children of our father, the devil. But we are definitely not all part of one God's one big happy family. To be called a child of God, the only way that you can do that is through Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, to them gave he power to become the sons of, of God, even to them that believe on his name. Romans chapter 5, verse number 9 says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were the enemies, 
We were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. And so we were once the enemies of God, definitely not the children of God. We're not born into the family of God, for sure. Uh, your, your neighbor, your family member, your coworker who is not a Christian, they are not part of the family of God just because God is their creator. They're God's creature. They're what we might call our fellow man, but they're not our brother or sister in Christ. That's reserved for those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's reserved for those who have been reconciled to God. Friend, if you're here tonight and there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, you are not a child of God. You are an enemy of God. And you might say, well, I'm not really like an enemy of God. Like, I, I'm in church on a Sunday night. I mean, like, like most people, like, I mean, I came to church twice today. Like, most people don't come to church once. I've come twice. How does that make me an enemy of God? Because God has a plan and you have rebelled against it. God is calling you to surrender, to wave the white flag, to lay down your arms, and you refuse and continue to fight and rebel against God. Friend, you are the enemy of God. And let me just tell you this. Being an enemy of God does not end well for you because you will lose 100% of the time. If you're rebelling against God, there's not, there doesn't come a point where it gets easier as you rebel against God, there doesn't come a point in time in your life where uh, God kind of gives up and he's just like, oh, okay, fine, uh, I'll, I'll let you live your life, I'll let you be okay. No, 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 God will continue to, the Bible says, store up his punishment for you. And there's coming a day, if you die in your sin as an enemy against God, it's nothing but wrath and judgment from that point forward. And so I encourage you tonight, if you have not been saved or born again, today is your opportunity recognize Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the only way to heaven. He came and lived a perfectly sinless life and died and rose again to save you from your sins. Stop rebelling against God. Admit that Jesus Christ is your Savior and ask Him to save you and forgive you of your sins. That's what you need more than anything in the world. And then get this, you'll no longer be an enemy of God. You will be reconciled to God. Again, Colossians chapter 1, verse number 21, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Again, John chapter 1, verse number 12, beautiful. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name. John chapter 1, verse number 12 is one of those that could be sons and daughters of God. It's not just for the men in here that have been saved. We get to become the sons of God and the ladies don't. So we become now part of the family of God. Here's the beauty of being a child of God. Wherever you go worldwide and you gather together with the church of God, you're with your brothers and sisters in Christ because we are collectively the sons and daughters of God. Every local gathering of a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching Doctrinally solid church is the body of Christ and is filled with saved, baptized sons and daughters of God who have been adopted by God. And wherever you go worldwide, you can be a part of family. So thankful for people who come on vacation. I met a couple this morning that was uh, on vacation from uh, Arizona. And they came and they said, like, man, we, we, we found you guys online and we wanted to come and be a part of it. Man, I'm thankful for that. Another uh, couple is visiting us from Washington State. 
hey, we, we wanted to find a church and we love this. Uh, there's, there's a guy who came like six months ago and he says, hey, do you know my pastor is, you know, Joe Smith in, in you know, Seattle, Washington? It's like, I don't. Uh, you know, don't you know, you know, uh, Christ Fellowship Church? I, I, I don't. You know, are you sure you don't know my pastor? I'm positive I've never heard of the guy before in my life. I, I'd love to meet him, but I've, I've never heard of him, honestly. And he was just like, man, I wonder if he listens to your podcast. Why? Well, like, what are you getting at? He was just like, the things that you guys are saying are so spot on. It's, it's like, like he tells us every, all the time, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus is the son of God. He was born of a virgin. He never sinned. He rose again the third day, proving that he had power over sin, death, and the grave. You know, he, like, he says that stuff, and it's like, you're saying the exact same thing. I know you guys got to know each other. It's like, <laughs> dude, we're singing out of the same songbook, you know? We have the exact same source material. And he was just like, what do you mean? Like, I'm telling you what the Bible says. Your pastor is telling you what the Bible says. And when you come here and that feels familiar, that feels like home to you, that's because you have found your brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's just like, I've never been a part of that before. Good. Welcome to the body of Christ. Uh, This is how we do things. But again, how do we, are we reconciled to God? How do we go from being a son, uh, how do we go from being an enemy of God to being a son and daughter through reconciliation? Reconciliation brings access to God through communion, fellowship, and prayer. Now, when I say the word communion, some people's mind immediately goes to the Lord's Supper. That's not what we're talking about. Communion means time with God where you spend time with God in uh, personal worship, Bible reading, praise, prayer. That's what I mean in communion with God. Because here, here, here's the truth. Before you were saved, you had no access to spend time with God. You had no fellowship with God, and God did not hear your prayers. And people are like, well, I don't know about that. Read the scriptures. God, God's ear is not heavy that it cannot hear, neither his hand heavy that it cannot save, but your iniquities, your sin have separated you from your God that he will not hear you. Your sin separates you from God, and if you're not a child of God, God is not obligated to hear your prayers at all. He's not obligated to work on your behalf. Uh, I've met people before who are like, no, before I was saved, you know, there were some really specific things that I was praying that God would do, and God did those in my life before I was ever a Christian, and that's how I know that God heard my prayers. Okay, a couple of things. First of all, God is omniscient, and so he knows what you're praying, so it's not a matter of like he didn't hear or that was a secret to him. Of course he heard. And if God chose to act on your behalf, it's because he is merciful and gracious, But understand, he's under no obligation whatsoever to work on your behalf because he owes you nothing. You are his enemy. The only thing that you deserve is wrath. I sometimes use the illustration with people. Hey, if your kid comes to me and and selling Girl Scout cookies, I'll buy some because I love thin mints. But I'm not obligated to buy Girl Scout cookies from your kids. Now, if my kids are selling Girl Scout cookies, I'm doing whatever I can to meet that quota, meet that threshold, I'll buy a bunch of extra ones, even the ones that I don't like, and give them away if I have to because I'm going to help my kid out. It's my kid, right? 
But if I'm gracious to someone else's kid, that's because I'm just a gracious person. If, if God works on behalf of the unsaved man, it's because he's gracious, because he's long-suffering, because he's forbearing. But God is never obligated to hear the prayers of the unsaved person because that's a unique relationship that's reserved for his children. Fellowship with him, rich time in his word, rich time in understanding scripture, communicating with God and knowing the heart of God and God knowing your heart. That's a special, unique relationship that's reserved for those that are his children. And the only way we have access to those things is through reconciliation. Look, if I'm the enemy of God, I'm rebelling against God, and I'm, I'm lobbing grenades at God, God's not going to give me a hug and encourage me to come closer. Again, if you're rebelling against God, God retaliates with his wrath. He's already told us how that's going to work out. Reconciliation is the only way to make that happen. Now we see reconciliation was prophesied and fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Again, God had a plan from eternity past that he would reconcile mankind to himself. He knew that, that Adam and Eve would sin. He knew that fellowship would be broken. And he knew that there would have to be a way that he could make that right. And he prophesied this through Jesus Christ. Daniel chapter 9, verse number 24. We don't have time to talk about the 70 weeks of Daniel tonight. If you want to hear about that, we can talk about that later. But 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. And so Daniel prophesies there's coming a time where God will reconcile mankind. God will make a way for their sins to be covered and, and cared for. And during this time, there will be the anointing of the most holy. Speaking of Jesus Christ, Isaiah chapter 53 was a prophecy of this, that through Christ's suffering upon the cross. I want you to turn back to uh, Isaiah 53. This is really important. I want you to see this in your Bible. You go, well, I've got it in my notes. Turn over there in your Bible because I want you to see this. Isaiah chapter 53 is probably one of the most clearest uh, prophecies of the crucifixion account and uh, the death of Christ, the suffering of Christ. I want you to see this because this could be one of the most misapplied taken verses, verses taken out of context, especially by uh, charismatics and Pentecostals and things along those lines. So it's important that we see exactly what Scripture is saying in the context that it is. Isaiah 53 speaks of the Again, the crucifixion of Christ, uh, we'll start in verse number 2, Isaiah 53, 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Pause for just a second. Verse number 2 uh, is, is a really important teaching moment for you to understand. We see pictures of Jesus, or we see depictions of Christ in movies or Sunday school material and stuff like that. Jesus is always the one walking around in the sparkling white robe. He's always the tallest guy. He's always got the best beard. He's always white as can be. Uh, you know, like Middle Eastern Jewish Jesus was not white. I hate to break it to people, but it just wasn't like that. But like you can always pick out Jesus out of the crowd, right? It's not like, oh, I wonder if that's Peter and James or if that's Jesus. There was always, always guaranteed it was Jesus. But here's the thing that, that verse number two says that there wasn't any beauty about Jesus that drew people to him. 
it wasn't like, oh, wow, this guy is, you know, six foot three with, a, you know, a, a great physique and, and like that must be the Christ. There's, there's nothing unique about him that you could look at to say this is the Christ. Verse number three, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him and he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray and We've turned everyone into his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Verse number five talks about our spiritual errors, transgressions, iniquities, chastisement of our peace, all of our sin placed upon Jesus Christ. And then that last phrase, by his stripes we are healed, speaks obviously. Anyone who understands biblical hermeneutics, anyone who understands scriptural exposition recognizes the whole context of verse number five is our spiritual condition. And Christ's not only suffering, but also his broken body and shed blood provide the spiritual healing that we need to be reconciled to God because our sin was paid for. Does that make sense? Look, a 10-year-old a, a can understand that's what's talking about there. This verse gets hijacked when people say that Jesus Christ died for your physical healing. You don't have to be sick because Jesus' stripes are your healing. If you have cancer, you need to say, cancer be gone in the name of Jesus because by his stripes I am healed. You don't have to take your cancer uh, treatment. You don't have to go through radiology or chemotherapy. You've been healed by the stripes of Jesus Christ. If you're sick, you need to walk in your healing because your healing's already been purchased by the suffering of Christ, physical healing. And you look at that and you go, that's not what it's talking about at all. Like, like not even remotely close. You would have to exclude the rest of Scripture and even the rest of this passage to come away with the idea that our biggest problem is physical sickness. That's, that's the least of our problems. Our greatest problem that we have is sin. And by the stripes of Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to God. This was prophesied by Isaiah that you and I could be brought near to God, whom we were strangers and aliens from, brought near to him through the suffering and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So again, know your Bible, know your scripture, know where, get this, nowhere in the entirety of the 66 books of the Bible, are you ever promised physical healing? Ever. So sometimes people get upset by that. Well, well, you don't believe that God can supernaturally heal? Oh, I absolutely do. I believe that God can heal in ways that the medical community would call miraculous. Does God have the power to do that? Absolutely. Does God still do that? Absolutely. I have personal experience in my own family. 
our own immediate family, that I have seen God's hand of miraculous healings where the doctors scratch their head and go, I don't, I don't really know. This doesn't make any sense. I've never seen anything like this before. And I can always say, oh, I know exactly how this happened, by the miraculous healing of God. But please understand, that's never promised or guaranteed to us. Next, when we look at, and again, I don't mean to take a rabbit trail, I just need to provide clarity for this. Can God heal supernaturally? Absolutely, 100% of the time, whenever he himself chooses to. But do you and I or anyone else on the planet have the capability to provide apostolic healing 100% of the time on command? Absolutely not. That was a supernatural sign gift that was given to the apostles for a period of time that ceased with the apostles. Again, can, can I pray for someone and they be healed? Yeah, for sure. Can I say that someone is healed? Absolutely not. That's not my place to say. And so again, healing, it comes from the Lord. Uh, again, we can look, take a look at the book of James. If any of you are sick, call the, the elders of the church together, have them pray and anoint you with oil. Oil at that time was used for medicinal purposes. Hey, uh, get the, the elders of the church together, pray, and take your medicine. If God heals, God heals. If God doesn't, he doesn't. But the ability to heal on command, on demand, that, that, that ceased with the apostles. Anyone who claims to have that type of healing, I'll go so far as to say this, uh, is a false teacher. I'm going to take it one step further, okay, just to help you. Anyone who claims the term apostle today, 99 point, I'm just going to go ahead and say 100%, 100% false teacher. Because, get this, in the Bible we're given the, the qualifications and selection of pastors, elders, bishops, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. We're given the ability to choose and, and determine the character of deacons, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. Nowhere in the entirety of the New Testament are we told how to choose apostles, ever. The only time that we even see that happen is after Judas takes his own life and they cast lots. So we're going to cast lots to figure out who the next apostles are? Because apostles were a group of people that ceased for a period of time. Anyone who calls himself an apostle in this day and age is a false teacher who has taken that name on their own, not given from the Lord. And so just a little side note there. So if you see, see like, oh, man, this church is having a worship meeting and Apostle John's going to speak. Don't go. Uh, false teaching, guaranteed. And again, if somebody says, hey, we're going to have a healing service, don't go. Because if, if there is healing taking place, it would be best to not rent out the Blaisdell and charge 45 bucks a head to get in to come to the healing service. It would be best to just cut, cut out the middleman, go straight to Queens Hospital, empty the whole place out, uh, and fix health care in America, right? Uh, but, again, anyways, uh, that wasn't really, that, that wasn't even my, my notes. That was just extra for you tonight. Uh, reconciliation is prophesied and fulfilled through Jesus. Next, the brokering of peace was necessary due to the barrier of sin. If you think of it this way, you and I were at war with God. Mankind is at war with God. And we can't just come to God and say, hey, um, I'm sorry, I'm done fighting. We need someone to broker peace for us. You and I don't have the ability because, again, if we go to God and say, okay, I'm done fighting, I surrender, I lay down my arms, God says, great. There's still a problem that there's a price that must be paid for what you've done wrong. 
if we're, if we're thinking in, in terms of surrender, there are, are sanctions that must be met before we can have peace with God. So when we think of the work that Jesus Christ did for us, Jesus Christ became the peacemaker between us and God. Not that God was angry and had his arms folded and wasn't willing to make peace with us unless uh, Jesus kind of talked him down, you know. It's not a matter of Jesus went to God and, and began to broker a deal on our behalf to figure out what God really wanted and what we really wanted and come to a, a consensus here. Jesus Christ knew exactly what God the Father wanted, and Jesus says, I will fulfill it in full. Jesus says, I'm willing to pay the debt, the penalty of sin, to, to reconcile them to you, and I'm willing to pay it in full. That's why when we sing songs like, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, Jesus Christ became our peace. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 14. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances for, to, to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both God unto uh, reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby Jesus destroyed the enemy what was the enemy the enemy was our sin our sin separated us from God Jesus defeated our sin on the cross and made a way for us to now have peace with God he he offered the sacrifice the peace offering that would bring us reconciliation with God as well and so God reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. So, again, it's important to understand how this flows. God reconciled us to himself. Really important that we understand the order of this. Just like we talked about this morning, we didn't reconcile ourselves to God. We didn't go to God and says, okay, we're ready to make peace with you, God. What do you want from us? We're, we're willing to do that. And we didn't broker a deal with God. We didn't have access to do that. God reconciled us to himself. Again, when it comes to the, the order of God's character, you and I have no right whatsoever to go directly to God on our own standing, not at all. That's why it's such a big deal when the book of Hebrews says because of Jesus Christ, we can come boldly to the throne of grace for our time of need. The grace that we need is, is there in the throne room of God the Father. We can go there anytime that we want to, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. So God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So we see that God reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, again, brokered that peace agreement uh, between us and God. Jesus reconciled us unto God by his death. Romans 5.10, for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 16, and that by he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Colossians chapter 1 verse number 21, 
And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath reconciled in his body of flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unprovable, uh, unreprovable in his sight. And so again, the death of Christ makes a way for you and I to be reconciled to God. There was no reconciliation apart from the death of Christ. Again, Jesus couldn't just be the middleman that didn't have to die, that was willing to make a deal between us and God. God said the only way that they can be reconciled to me is through the death of his son. We're reconciled to God by his blood. Again, I hope that you understand throughout Scripture that the blood is really important. We can't get away from that. You know, when we sing songs like, Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb? There's no substitute for blood. From the, the, the Passover lamb in the book of Exodus where blood had to be shed and put on the, blood po- on the doorposts of their homes and the death angel would pass over when he saw the blood to the blood that was shed and put on the mercy seat as a propitiation to turn away the wrath of God against the sins of the people to the blood sacrifice that needed to be made by Jesus Christ on the cross. There's no way we could be reconciled to God apart from his blood. Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Colossians 1.20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So again, through the blood of his cross, we're reconciled. You and I were reconciled by Jesus Christ when we had no other hope. Turn to Romans chapter 5. I can't wait to get to Romans 5 when we get there. We might be about, I don't know, maybe three months away, four months away. I don't know. Take a look at Romans chapter 5, verse number um, Let's, oh man. Let's just start in verse number one. It's good. Romans chapter five, verse number one. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we're declared righteous in God's sight through faith. Peace has been brokered with God through Jesus Christ, by whom we have also access into faith, into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us for when we were yet without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly that's that's really important you and I when we were without strength when we were without hope that's why um Again, it's really important that we understand the type of worship music that we sing and what we're actually singing about. When we sing songs about like, Jesus Christ, my living hope, that first verse uh, that we sing uh, of living hope, how high the mountain I could not climb, how deep the chasm, how high the mountain I could not climb, in desperation I turned to heaven and called your name into the night. We're not talking about a time where we were really sad 
where we were going through a rough spot, where a friend had disappointed us, or a girlfriend broke up with us, and, and we called out to the Lord in that deep time. There was this big mountain that we couldn't climb. It's important to note the mountain that you could never possibly climb is God's standard of righteousness, and the chasm that lay between us and God was a chasm that was created by our sin. When we sing songs like that, it's not like, oh, I was in a really tough spot and Jesus came by and swooped me up. I was in a place where I was without strength and I was without hope because my sin had done me under. I I had no hope to come to God. I had no way to come to God because my sin had alienated me from God. Verse number seven, for scarcely... For a righteous man will one die yet peradventure. For a good man some would even dare to die. Verse number eight, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So again, we see that Jesus reconciled us to, unto God because we literally had no other options. You and I came to a place where we realized Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus is the only way to make things right with God. Jesus is the only way to make a, a, some semblance of normalcy out of this mess that I've created. Jesus is the only hope that I have for my sin. Jesus wasn't just the best of your options. Jesus was your only option. Again, that's the only way you can be reconciled to God. It's not a matter of like, well, yeah, I guess I'll pray that prayer and uh, take my chances on Jesus. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus must be your only hope that you have. He's not the best of your options. He's the only option. Jesus reconciled us unto God as our high priest. Again, we remember last week we talked about propitiation and that part of the tabernacle that was the holiest of holies that nobody could go in there unless they had first been cleansed ceremonially. It was a place where the priest was only allowed to go. Anybody else who went to the presence of God was immediately struck dead because they were deemed unclean. We find this even taking place in the, in the Gospels where uh, we see the, the priest was going in to make intercession. People thought that he had died because he had been in there so long. It was a a sacred, special place that you did not dare to step your foot in behind that veil unless you were 100% clean according to God's standards. But here's what Hebrews chapter 10 says for us. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, like you and I are just going to walk into that area where the Spirit of God dwells. Why? By the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw nearer the true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We get to go back into that place where the Spirit of God dwells now and we don't have to have any fear that we're going to be struck dead because we've already been made clean because our high priest has already cleansed us. I don't have to be fearful for going into the presence of God's Spirit because I'm afraid I'm going to be struck dead. No, no, no. The temple is gone. We are the temples of the Holy Ghost. 
God's spirit is alive in every single believer now. And we don't have to fear that. We have boldness now to dwell with God's spirit because Jesus, our high priest, has cleansed us by his own blood. Oh, man, that is so rich. Jesus, after he's already brokered peace, brought us fellowship with God, made us sons and daughters of God, adopted us into the family of God. Now Jesus continues to be our advocate and our intercessor. You see, when Jesus brought us peace with God, when Jesus reconciled us to God through his death on the cross and his shed blood, Jesus didn't just make a connection and be like, all right, guys, my work here is done, and then kind of bow out. No, Jesus maintains that relationship where he is the intercessor between us and God the Father. The Bible says if any man sin, he have an advocate with the Father. I have someone who's going to work on my behalf, plead on my behalf, and it's Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse number 34, who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of the Father, who also maketh intercession for us. Paul asked the rhetorical question, now who is it that's condemning you now? Who, who is it that's holding your sin over your head? Who's trying to make you guilty for the things that you've done in your past? Because Jesus Christ has already paid that penalty, and he is your intercessor, and he's still making intercession for you. Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto him by God, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. <laughs> I love that phrase, saved to the uttermost. Like, I didn't get mostly saved. I didn't get partially saved. Jesus didn't pay most of it. Jesus paid it all, and I'm saved to the uttermost. All of it. I, I, I talked with a man today, and I said, uh, Hey, man, if you died today, are you 100% sure you're going to heaven? And he said, um, I don't think so. And I said, has there been a time in your life where you were saved or born again? He goes, yeah, I've been saved. But, um, you know, my life hasn't always been what God expects of me, and, and I, I know that probably puts me in danger of God's judgment. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, because, I mean, like, nobody can know for sure that they're on their way to heaven, right? Hmm. Well, it doesn't really matter what you and I think. It matters what the Bible says. And 1 John 5, 13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And he said, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, 1 John 5, 13, write it down, look it up later. He was just like, oh. Here's what he said, no lie. Man, you are the first pastor that's ever told me that. First pastor I've ever told that, that like you can know for sure that you're saved. What? <laughs> What's everybody else telling you? <laughs> and, and to think that someone would make a profession of faith at some point in his life, and again, I don't know his church background, church history, or whose pastors were, anything like that. someone would make a profession of faith and somebody didn't tell them, hey man, this is good for the long haul, this is good for eternity, this is good for eternal life. That God now no longer brings condemnation. Now it's only love and forgiveness and grace because Jesus is our intercessor. First John chapter 2, verse number 1, My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. First Timothy chapter 
uh, 2, verse number 5, for there's one God and one mediator between God and men. That's the man Christ Jesus. We don't pray through saints. We don't pray through intermediaries. We don't pray through priests. We have one mediator, and his name is Jesus. I was talking with a man uh, several years ago who came from Catholicism, and I was trying to talk to him about we just need Jesus, and I said, you know, I said, for us, I said, we don't pray to Mary, and he's like, oh, we don't pray to Mary either. It's just like, really? He said, we pray through Mary. <laughs> you pray to Mary, okay? Um, and so, and I said, and you, you venerate Mary. We don't venerate Mary. Bro, I have literally read the catechism of the Catholic Church, and the word veneration is literally used there. Like, you just don't know your own faith. And he says, well, we, you know, we don't pray to Mary, we pray through Mary. I said, that makes no sense because we have one mediator. And no lie, the, the, the explanation they gave me was so laughable that I haven't forgotten it to this day. He said this. He said, well, you know, it's like this. If we pray to God and we don't get what we want and we ask Jesus for things and, and it doesn't work, you know, then we can, can pray to Mary that, that Mary would, would, would talk to Jesus on our behalf. And I said, that doesn't make any sense. He goes, well, it's like this. You know, if I ask you to do something for me and you don't, then I can call your mom and ask her to talk to you and make you do it. And I said, are you saying if Jesus doesn't do what we want, we should talk to his mom? And he goes, yeah. That's the dumbest thing that I've ever heard in my life. That makes no sense. Like, Jesus doesn't do what I want him to, so I'm going to ask his mom and his mom will make him do it. You know? That's foolish. That doesn't even logically compute, much less biblically compute. That's just foolishness. And so we got, we got one mediator between us and God. That's Jesus Christ. Now, again, I don't have to pray to Jesus and ask him, hey, could you tell your father these things for me? I have direct access to the father through Jesus Christ. So, again, it's not a matter of, like, we're playing telephone. Hey, if you could ask God this, that would be great for me. No, no, no. I have direct access to the father through Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 15, and for this cause, he's the mediator of the New Testament. Uh, that means he's the mediator of the new covenant, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that we were under the first covenant, testament, that they might, our call might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So Jesus uh, gives us access to the Father because he is our mediator and our advocate. Now, turn over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the last passage we'll take a look at tonight and we're done. You know, it's funny. I just remembered something. Uh, the pastor of the church that, that I grew up in would sometimes say, this is the last passage we're going to take a look at tonight. And people would say amen. <laughs> and I just thought to myself, I'm thankful that nobody said amen just now. Now, some of you are rascals, and the next time I say that, you're going to say amen just to mess with me. Don't do it. Um, <laughs> but Second Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse number uh, 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, get this, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Verse number 21, you should circle, star, underline, commit to memory, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So a couple of key thoughts here. First of all, you and I are reconciled unto God through Jesus Christ. We already saw that verse number 18. 
the end of verse number 18 is really important though. Now he's given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? It's now my job and yours, if you've been reconciled to God, to go out and find people and reconcile them with God. Find people who are strangers, aliens, far from God, and bring them to God to be reconciled to God. And God says to do that, verse number uh, 19, he's now given you, the end of verse number 19, the word of reconciliation. Does anybody want to guess what the word of reconciliation is? Say it, the gospel. You've now been given the gospel to bring people to God and help them to be reconciled with God. That's your job now. Verse number 20 goes on, now that you are an ambassador for Christ. You now, because you've been saved, because you've been reconciled, it's your job to be an emissary for a foreign kingdom to work on behalf of the king of that kingdom as an official representative to now bring people into that kingdom. You are an ambassador for Christ. And here's what he says, I beseech you in Christ's stead. You know what that means? That means that you are standing in place of Jesus Christ in this role as an ambassador. This, is, this will blow your mind, but think of it this way. God says, I've sent Jesus Christ. He's now done his work. He's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And now instead of sending Jesus, I'm sending you instead. In Christ's stead. In place of Jesus, I've sent you. So we have to ask ourselves, if it's my job to reconcile people to Jesus, that's my ministry, that's my jo- job, that's my role, how well am I doing in fulfilling that role? And so, two, two questions I want to leave you with tonight. First of all, since Jesus gave you access to the Father, are you spending time with him? You now have free, unfettered access to God anytime you want. Now imagine you had the opportunity to sit across the table from God and ask any question that you wanted to. You'd be like, ooh, I want to make a list and think of the things I want to get him to answer and things I'd ask him to do for me. You have access to do that anytime you want to and you have no time limit on it. You, you want to talk to God 24 hours a day? He's wide open. He never sleeps. He's up all night. You can give him whatever your, your, your burden is. You want to you hear from God? Well, I know, but I pray, but I don't hear back from God. Oh, no, 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 no. He's given you 66 books so that you can hear directly from him. He's preserved every single word that he's ever said throughout every generation, and it's forever settled in heaven. Like, you've got plenty of time to hear from him if you want to. Have you making time, made time to do that, though? Is it a priority for you? Because at great expense to God the Father, he's brought peace between you and him. And and then people are just like, whoo, got that ticket punched to heaven. I think I'm good. Oh, no, 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 no. God wants to spend time with you. God wants to commune with you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to hear from you. Are are you making time for that? Next, since we're the only ministers of reconciliation, how's our job performance? Think about this. If you and I are not faithful with the gospel, who else is going to do it? Who else will? There's only one group of people that God's called to be ambassadors. It's the body of Christ. Those that have been reconciled unto God are now the ministers of reconciliation. That's the only group. If we don't get the gospel to the world, who will? The answer to that is no one. Who we call it turns 10 this October. 
10 years, we've gone out every single week of the world into our community, passed out invitations to church, told people about Jesus. Even times when we didn't have organized outreach, we were still, as a church, going out into our community, talking to people about Jesus, inviting people to church, trying to have gospel conversations with people for, for 520 weeks almost. In the history of our church, Anytime that we've ever been out in the community, we have yet to find another Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church out in our community sowing gospel seed. Not one time. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm saying we've never experienced it yet. There may be some faithful churches out there that are out getting it done, and I appreciate that. I'm not saying we're the only ones, and I'm definitely not patting us on the back because we're just doing what's expected of us. But nearly every week of the world, we come across Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons that are out there getting it done. They don't have the gospel. They have a false gospel. And they're more zealous about a false gospel than many Christians are about the true gospel. That's shameful. And so I'm not asking you to, everybody, if you love Jesus, you'll be here on Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. I'm not asking you that. I'm saying if you really love Jesus and you're thankful for your reconciliation, you're going to live a lifestyle that draws people to Christ. And it's not a Saturday morning at 9 o'clock thing. It's an everyday thing for you. We're trying to think, who can I get to Jesus? How can I be more faithful with the gospel? And so, again, how are we doing with that? And I'm really going to, to ask you that question really seriously two weeks from now as we have a missionary. And, and again, we want to help plant a church in Nigeria for sure. But, man, we need to plant a church in Honolulu as well. H- how are we doing with the gospel here? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. And so if you are a minister of reconciliation and you were given a job performance evaluation, how high would you score or what areas are you deficient Man, you and I have been given so much, but we weren't given these things for our own consumption. We weren't given these things for our own comfort. We're given these things to be a conduit of God's love, of God's grace, of God's word, of God's reconciliation to the people around us. Let's be faithful with that this week. Most important thing in the world, if you're here tonight and you say, I'm not really sure that I'm saved, do that tonight. It's not a matter of joining our church or becoming a Baptist or, or, you know, coming to church every Sunday from here on out. It's about knowing for sure that everything's right between you and God and that you're no longer an enemy of God, but you've been reconciled to God. You're a son, you're a daughter of God through Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.